Good morning, New Life. My name is Ryan Farr. I'm the sports director here at the church. I'm excited to be up here today on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So who had some really great food this weekend? Anybody have uh, turkey? Turkey folks, the traditionals, ham? Here's one. So I was out this week and I was talking to a lady. Their family was going different this year and they were going to get pizza for Thanksgiving. I, I don't know about you. I'm a foodie. I love pizza. I related to that. But regardless, it's great, uh, a holiday where you get some awesome food. So whether it was turkey, ham, pizza, whatever, hope you had a wonderful meal. Hope you had some fellowship, got to enjoy some family time. And probably most importantly is just realizing all that we have to be thankful for. All the blessings that we have that God has just given us. And in a big way, we're going to be talking a little bit about Thanksgiving today. But maybe in a different way than you thought about this past week. Because today we're going to talk about what it means to be thankful in our opportunities to give. Thankful in our opportunities to give. And, and I'll tell you, giving can be a tough subject because personal belief, I think that all of us can suffer from seagull syndrome from time to time. And for seagull syndrome, how, how many of you guys have seen the movie Finding Nemo? You guys remember these guys? The seagulls. And whenever they saw something, you know, a little crab, a little fish, something they wanted to eat, take a snack on, what'd they say? Mine, 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 mine. Everything was mine, 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 mine. And I think that sometimes in life, we can get this mine, mine, mine kind of mentality. Now, a place where I think it is really evident, how many of you guys have kids? All right. Mine, mine, mine. Especially, I've got four boys. They are nine, seven, and four. And it's like nothing really has ownership in our house, toys-wise. Like, it's just they fight over it and they just say, mine, mine, mine. But I, I was thinking about this, this concept of seagull syndrome. And I, I was thinking specifically about my two youngest. Uh, Mason, he's seven. Easton, he's four. And they absolutely love stuffed animals. Oh, my gosh, stuffies. I mean, we, we pass a Build-A-Bear. It's a nightmare because it means I'm going to be dropping a lot of money. But... You know, they love these stuffed animals. And so we, you know, we're, we're getting ready to get into the holiday season, all right. And we know that, you know, holiday season consists of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, our holiday season consists of Thanksgiving, the purge, and then Christmas. And the purge is this time when we get ready for, you know, we know that our kids are just going to be absolutely spoiled during the Christmas season. Now, it's not by us. I'm telling you, my wife and I, we have cut back a lot, like we try to get them like one or two really, you know, nice gifts, but they get spoiled by Grammy, Grampy, Papa, Grandma. Those are the culprits of the holiday spoiling. Um, but, you know, so we go through this about month and a half, six week purge of all these old toys and stuffies that they have getting ready for the holiday season. Now, you might ask, well, why does it take you a month and a half? That should be like a 24-hour project. You know, you go downstairs, you, you sift through things, all that kind of good stuff. It's because Easton and Mason would go absolutely nuclear if they had to decide which one of their prize stuffies was going to go out in the purge. So what we do is we do, it's almost kind of like this underground thing. You know, we, we smuggle, you know, a couple stuffies out, you know, here and there. Like we'll hide them in the laundry basket. We'll put them in my book bag on the way to work. Well, my wife, she, she was doing this the one day, it was about a week ago. She throws a couple stuffies in there, 
Uh, she's going out. She's passing the kitchen. Something needed to be got in the kitchen, so she puts the, uh, the box down. When she comes back out, Easton had climbed up on the chair on the table, and he's holding one of the stuffies in his hand. He's like, what is this doing here? You know, I mean, just completely uh, just surprised to find it in this box. And, and, you know, we could probably come up with a creative, you know, answer. But we're just like, you know, we're just going to be real, real with you. We're like, we're, we're starting to get rid of some of your old stuff because we know Grammy and Grampy are going to give you some new things this year. And so it's going to be great. This can go, you know, to another little boy or little girl who doesn't have a stuffy. Isn't that awesome? And he goes, well, yeah, but it can't be this one because this one's my favorite. Now, here's the thing about kids, man. Like, favorite has a lot of different meanings. When he says favorite for this particular stuffy, he means he saw it two years ago when he first got it, hugged it like crazy, threw it down, picked up the next twin, then never thought about it again. That's what he means by favorite. But for some reason, right now, it's special, and, you know, he can't do without it. So we did the responsible parent thing. We gave him his own way. We waited for him to fall asleep, and then we took it out anyway. So, you know, I, I just see that, that seagull syndrome evident sometimes in my kids of, you know, this is something that's mine, it's special to me, I want to hold it close. But our kids are not the only ones who suffer from seagull syndrome. I know if I'm real honest in my life, I have had a mine, mine, mine mentality with a lot of things. Um, you know, we have it with our money. Gosh, I work really hard for this. I, I'm working extra and overtime and all this kind of stuff. This money is mine, 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 mine. My time, my schedule, you know, I've, I'm spread so thin. I'm taking my kids here and doing this and, you know, taking care of my parents. My time is mine, mine, mine. My house, my car, my family, my emotional energy, even my talents and abilities, these are mine. And we get into this real kind of destructive seagull syndrome. And so as I was thinking about this today, we're going to talk about generosity. I was like, you know, what does it look like? What's the solution for seagull syndrome? And as we're going to look at in 2 uh, Corinthians today, I believe that the solution to seagull syndrome is something that's called irrational generosity. I believe it's something that God calls us to engage in intentionally. Now, I'm going to go ahead, I'll give you the verse, it's right up there, so you can start to turn in your Bibles if you'd like to, but I want to make two promises today uh, up here before we get started. One, we are not going to just think of generosity and giving as money. Every time I feel like, and maybe this is me inflecting on us, but I, I feel like every time I hear that word generosity and giving, the very first thing that I think about is finances. But God has blessed us with so, so much more than our finances to be able to give it, to be given uh, to the world around us. So we're going to talk about it more than just money. Second is I have broken a major pastor rule. Like anytime you talk about giving and generosity, you're supposed to have a project to give to at the end of the service. We don't have that today. And, you know, projects are awesome. I hope hopefully you guys heard in the announcement we have our, our Christmas offering coming up. But today the takeaway is going to be less about a project and a one-time event and more about a mentality and an attitude, and a mindset. Okay, so those are my two promises there. We're going to go ahead and uh, skip over there to 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 4. Now, I want to set the scene a little bit in this chapter of what's going on. So Paul is talking to the churches in Corinth, and he's had kind of an up and down relationship with them and their obedience and all, and all that kind of good stuff. But at this point, they're kind of in a good place in the sense that Corinth has already committed to give. 
all right? They understand this generosity thing, this giving thing. And, and, and so, you know, the thing that I love about this is not that he's introducing this idea of generosity and giving. He's telling them or, or kind of offering them a new idea or a new perspective or a new thought about what giving looks like. And I think that's so appropriate for us today because, you know, New Life, I've been here four and a half years. This is a generous church. This is a generous church with great people who give of your finances. I've seen you do it in, you know, our Christmas offerings past. And whenever we've had kind of an event pop up, you do a wonderful job in responding. Uh, I've seen you give of your, your talents and your abilities and things like Summerfest and Life Fest and just being there, being the hands and feet uh, of Jesus to our community. That's awesome. But I believe that God wants to teach us a new thing today about generosity and this idea of irrational generosity. So let's go ahead and we're going to read and it says this. And now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now first, I, I want to unpack a couple things there. One, I love that Paul starts it off with the source of generosity. What does he say? He says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. The cool thing there is that we don't have to rely on ourselves for that oh-so-great generous attitude. You see, what happens is as God is at work in our lives, in our hearts, he's transforming us. We'll talk about transformation a little bit later. Into this, into this desire to want to be able to give, to be generous. And so he says, you know, we're, we're going to talk about what the Macedonian church is, but realize that this is the overflow of what God is doing in their hearts and in their lives. But he continues on, and this is a really surprising recipe that he gives for generosity. Look at verse 2. It says, in the midst of a very severe trial, it's their overwhelming joy, or overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty that welled up in rich generosity. And I'll be honest, I never thought of extreme poverty as being an ingredient to generosity. In fact, um, and, I, and you know, I, maybe some of you can relate, I know we've got a lot of college students here in, in our church, a lot of young adults in this church. I remember being, you know, the, the poor college student, you know what I mean? And, and the, the poor kind of just graduated college. And, and I remember I would hear these messages about generosity. And I was like, you know what? I can't wait to be my dad's age. Because then, you know, I've gotten my big boy job and I've saved up some money and, and life is stable and my family's stable. And, you know, then I can really give. Then I can really jump on board with this whole generosity thing. And so I used to use that as an excuse to kind of exclude myself from this irrational generosity. But as I've kind of grown up over the years, and some of you guys will, will know this, it just feels like there's this proverbial hole in the pocket of your bank account. You know, when you get a family, you know, our, our things that we purchase and buy and have to, you know, keep up, they, they change. And, and so I'll tell you this much, for young people, it doesn't get easier. Uh, to give. In fact, some, in some ways it gets harder. And so the reason I say that is I, I want us to realize that generosity isn't really always connected to wealth or, or how much that we have. It's much different than that. It's something much deeper. And, and really I believe that the secret sauce that has really produced this kind of generosity in these churches in Macedonia is this. They are trusting in God to provide for their needs. Think about it. 
Why do we store up wealth? It's to give us that security. Hey, I, I can take care of myself. I can take care of my family. I can do this. I can do that. I can, you know, br- put together this nest egg. But if these guys are trusting in God to provide for their needs, all of a sudden this overflow of generosity becomes a little bit more understandable. And this is kind of where point one comes from. The overflow of a heart that trusts in God is irrational generosity. A generosity that the world can't understand. And, and I actually have been privileged to be a part or to see an example of this in my own life. Um, I used to work at a church in Campfield, Ohio. To give some context, Campfield is kind of like the Dublin of the Youngstown area. It's very much uh, a lot more wealth, uh, a lot more families that are, are well off and have resources. And first off, I, I want to say that does not mean that I don't you know, think people that are wealthy and have money. Like I've seen some great examples of people that have money that have just been awesome givers and generous and, and just have surrendered all of that to, to, to God. But we, we had taken upon ourselves or had initiated this relationship as this kind of wealthy suburban church with this urban church that really had nothing. And this is the coolest name for a church. It was called The Place Where the Lord's Hand Provides. That was the name of the church. The Place Where the Lord's Hand Provides with Pastor Selena. And I tell you, we would go down there for Thanksgiving to pass out turkeys. We'd go down Christmas to, to pass out gifts to the kids. We would go down during the summer multiple times. We were, were very involved there. But I, I just remember just the insane amount of generosity that these people in the inner city had for one another. You know that expression like, you know, I, I'll give the shirt off my own back. I had never actually seen that in life until I went down to this church and watched a man who himself in poverty pulled the coat from his back and gave it to somebody who was cold. Uh, I watched people take gloves off of their hands and give them to families uh, to share. And these were not people who had an extra set just lying around at home. And you see that and you ask yourself, where could this kind of generosity that makes no sense to the world, where could it have its roots? And I believe, again, that's when we trust God to provide for our needs. All of a sudden, the things that we cling so tightly to, you know, we can, we can give. And here's the deal. If trust in God is at the core of our generous living, it frees us from something. Something that I want to call or how I'll define it today is situational or circumstantial generosity. And we're going to continue to read uh, in, in 2 Corinthians to hear more about this. But 2 Corinthians 8.3 says... For I testify that they, this is that Macedonian church that, again, is not well off, stuck in poverty, but still giving. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. You see, back to that, I guess, story of, the place where the Lord's hand provides. I mean, we might not think much of a pair of gloves. You know, I think last year, my wife and I, you know, we did the um, Christmas tree thing, and, you know, we brought in a couple pairs, and, you know, we didn't think that was a, a huge, huge burden on us. But, you know, for, for that guy that gave those up, that was probably one of the more prized possessions in his world. And here's the cool thing about what we read in verse 3, is that irrational generosity 
isn't about an amount. It's about a mindset. You see, it's funny, and, and, and I, I'm kind of taking from Scripture, adding to it. I don't know that this is the case, but, you know, we said the Corinthian church was a giving church. You know, they had committed to give, and, and for all we know, they had a pretty good amount that they could give. You know, let's say it was their Christmas offering, and they were able to give $25,000. All right, well then, Paul comes in the scene, and he says, well, I want to tell you a real inspirational story about these Macedonian churches that gave $10,000. Well, that doesn't make any sense. We're already giving an amount that's almost, you know, three times that. Why are we raising these guys up as this beacon of generosity? It's because they gave what they had. It wasn't about an amount. It was about a mindset. Because here's the deal. When it's about an amount, when our circumstance change or our situation changes, what also changes? Our giving. Our generosity. You know, let's say, gosh, I used to give eight hours a week to church. Man, I, I, I could come in on a Wednesday night. I could help, you know, organize stuff in kid life. And then I was coming for a number of hours on Sunday morning. But, you know, my work schedule changed. And now I've, I've got a lot more hours that they demand. And, you know, I just don't think that I can give that many hours anymore. I, I, I'm just cutting my generosity, my giving off at that. You know, maybe it does have to do with finances. And you say, you know... We used to give X amount on a Sunday morning, but, you know, my, my, my company's downsizing, and we all had to take a pay cut, and that amount that I used to give, I can't give that, so that just kind of disqualifies me from giving and, and being a part uh, of this, this life of generosity. Uh, and here's one that we maybe forget, is, is our emotional energy, our emotional capacity. You know, I used to, to have, uh, you know, a pretty steady family life, and so I could meet up with my friends and... And, and I could give of my emotional capacity. I could listen to some of the stuff that was going on in their life. I could help bear the burden of some of the really tough things that they were going through. But you know what? Now I've got my own stuff. My own family is, is facing this and that and the other thing. So, you know, I am no longer able to give in that way anymore. And so our generosity begins to ride on our situation and our circumstance. But it's really crazy what God does when we adopt, adopt generosity as a mindset. And, and an example that I thought of from my own life, uh, it's very personal to me, had to do with my parents. And a really special place that I want to show you guys today. This is, this is the rescue mission in, in, in Youngstown, Ohio. And uh, it's, I, I will say this, this is one of the grossest buildings I've ever been in. But I love that place. Uh, in fact, it doesn't exist anymore. They tore it down and built a new building. But um, I, I will say this. My, when I was 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, my parents would take my sister and I there on pretty much a consistent basis. Uh, I don't know if it was every week or every month or what it looked like. But we just seemed like we grew up there, you know, quite a bit. And this was such a cool experience because, as I said, this was not a nice place. Uh, floors were gross. The walls were gross. The the ceilings were leaking. It constantly was stinky. I mean, it was just, just not the place that you would think you'd have a lot of great memories. But it was an awesome place where I got to interact with people who were in a completely different situation than I was. Had completely different needs. Were from a completely different family background. Uh, there was where I first encountered people who had some struggles with just mental illness, addiction. Things that, you know... Honestly, as a father, I, I would look and say, I don't know that, you know, do I want my kids around this? But I will say it was a blessing that my parents exposed me to just 
the needs that exist in the world that I had never seen before. And because of that experience, um, I, I will say this, it was a blessing because I got to see where I could use the resources in my life, not just financial, but my time, my effort, my talents and abilities, where I could be a blessing to people who were in need and who were hurting. But, you know, in the midst of doing this and, and, and serving in our church and giving each week and, and, and being a part of our kid life ministry that we had at our church, um, we had a major situation, circumstance change in our life as a family. I'll never forget the day my dad coming home and uh, this, this company that he had worked for for a long time, built up some kind of repertoire in this company, had been bought out from a number, another company, and he would no longer be working there. And if you know my dad, he is steady Eddie. He's an accountant. He's a CPA. So like, you know, every cent in order, probably had his life planned out through retirement at the age of 18 kind of a guy. And so you can imagine how jarring this must have been for the plan to be changed. And so a lot of things changed for us at that time. Um, you know, one, finances were ever, never really stable. We didn't know, you know, what things were going to look like. Um, I remember uh, he took on a job in the interim, and this lasted for about nine months to a year, where he had to drive an hour and a half, an hour and a half um, there and back from this place that he was working at. And so, you know, the dad that had woken up with me and taken me to school, you know, he was gone before we even got up for school. And, you know, the dad who had been very involved in going to my practices and all these different things uh, for sports, he, you know, missed some of that stuff. And it was a really hard time for them. And my mom, she's a worrier, so I, I'm sure this was <laughs> the worst nine months uh, of her life. And so we saw a lot of things change at that time. Our situation changed dramatically. But there were some things that didn't change. We still went to the rescue mission as often as we could. We still, you know, and I, I'm sure the amount changed, but my parents still gave on Sunday morning. They were still working in the children's ministry, still being a part of what God was calling them to do in the world. Irrational generosity, one that the world can't understand, that even in the midst of a change of situation and circumstances, we can still have that mindset of, God, I want to be used by you in whatever area that you would call me to be used. And I'll be honest, as I was thinking about that story today, I, I was I don't say I was reluctant to share it. I was just like nervous about how people would think about that because I think sometimes like I look at their example and I say, I can't live up to that. Like I'm going to be honest with you. If I lost my job tomorrow, I don't think I would become more outward focused. <laughs> I think it would become very much more inward focused. I'd be, you know, looking at Indeed.com and all these kind of things. It'd be about restoring my family to whatever, you know, value or, or, or status of life that we had before. That's what it would be about. So like I look at this example of my parents who were able, in the midst of a very unstable and tough time for them, keep us involved in all of these different things and keep giving and engaging in irrational generosity. What causes a person to do that? How can I get from where I am today to being able to give that way? Well, I think it really starts with a major perspective change. And I tell you, this is not going to be a new one. I've been in church my entire life. I think I've heard this a bunch of times. But I want us to really think about it today. Allow yourself to think about this today and what it means. And to do that, we're going to take a break from 2 Corinthians 8 and we're going to go to 1 Chronicles 29, 14. It says this. 
But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? How can we engage in this irrational generosity? Because everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. You see, the the simple yet tough perspective changes the realization that my resources are actually God's resources. My resources are actually God's resources. And I'll tell you, our world doesn't make it easy for us to embrace that, does it? Because I want you to think about it. You go, you go to the bank to, to make a withdrawal. You hand them the card. I mean, whose name's on the account? It's your name. So that's my money. You know, we look at the deeds to our, our car, our house, whatever. It's got my name on it. That's my car. I worked hard for it. My house, I worked hard for it. That's my stuff. And we fall back into that seagull syndrome of mine, 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 mine. It's my time. It's, it's, it's my family. It's my uh, emotional energy. Again, whatever it might be. But it can be really difficult. For us to realize that these things that we have been blessed with, again, that's what Thanksgiving was all about, remembering all those blessings that we have. These resources that we have been blessed with are not under our ownership, but they are under our stewardship. The account that we will give to God has nothing to do about how we've used our talents and abilities to build this wonderful nest egg for us. It's not going to be about how perfectly and picket fence, you know, our family, you know, got over the course of our life. It's not going to be about how much, you know, we built into, you know, this this personal empire. It's going to be about how did we use the things that we were blessed with. Again, our times, talents, treasures. How did we use those things to make an impact on our world? To make an impact on the people around us, to show God's love to the people around us. That's the kind of account that we're going to give for the resources that we have. And you know, that can seem like pretty hard on ourselves or pretty tough, but I, but I want you to think about this. This is the encouraging part, is that when we can engage in irrational generosity, one that flows from a trust in God to provide for our resources, is freed from this dependence on our situation, our circumstance, uh, to make us credible for giving or whatever that looks like, and then takes the perspective that my resources are actually God's resources, what we see is that God does a transformational work in our lives that is absolutely huge. Listen, one of our values here at New Life is what? Transformation is our goal. Transformation is our goal. How is God constantly changing and growing us? And so to kind of see what that looks like, let's look at the last verse in that 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4 section that we're in. It says this, they, again, they being those churches in Macedonia who don't have a lot but are still giving, it says, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. I love this. This is my favorite verse of this section because we get at the heart of these Christians in Macedonia. Listen, it would have been really easy for them to say, you know what, Paul, I gave to your project. You know, we don't, we don't have a whole lot of money here, but, you know, we can sacrifice for a week or a couple weeks. We can, we can, you know, pass up on that extra meal. We can not get this thing. You know, we can give of our time a little bit, even though we don't have a lot of it. We can really buck up for a week or two and make this project happen. But what does it say that their posture is in giving? 
it says that they pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And I think this is so cool because this church in Macedonia, they understood that generosity wasn't just about a project. Now, real quick, projects are great. Projects are great. I, I love that we have our, our Christmas offering coming up. I love that, you know, you guys have, have given in ways like, you know, given of your time, talents, and abilities to do Life Fest and Summer Fest and all these different volunteer opportunities that we have in our community. I, I love to see that some of you guys come out to some of our events that we hold that, that have to do with, with caring for people who are in need or maybe hurting and giving of your emotional energy. That is awesome. But at its very core, generosity is not a project. It's a lifestyle. And the cool thing about it is, if we have a lifestyle of generosity, these projects we get to do together as a church, that's just us corporately coming together, bringing that lifestyle of generosity into a really focused effort to really help further something in God's kingdom, which is really just an amazing opportunity. And so as we're thinking about this, again, I said, we didn't want to end today with some type of project to give to, or some type of thing to keep you guys necessarily focused on, uh, you know, as a one-time event. What I really wanted us to think about is where do we have opportunities to show generosity in our own lives? And I want to share one last story that I think is such a practical one. Didn't take a whole lot, but when you understand the background uh, of what it means, you, you just see where God was at work in someone's life. And, and this is the story of my friend Ben. Now, Many of you have been here before, you've heard me before, like uh, I used to be involved in full-time sports ministry, I do that part-time here, you know, at the church, um, but uh, Ben was one of my referees for men's basketball, and, and men's basketball is the second worst sport to officiate, or administrate for that matter. Uh, the number one is men's softball, alright, men's softball, and I know we've got a lot of those guys in here today. I mean, having to decide on, do I want a bait and fireball or a blue dot or these bats are too hot, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's the worst. But a close second is men's basketball. These are guys who will cuss you out and tell you don't know what you're talking about and, and you're the worst referee in the world. And so I've never understood why anyone would want to officiate, uh, you know, church league men's, men's basketball. Um, but Ben, you know, he, he did this. And I found out through this whole situation that Ben had a backstory that involved a lot of seagull syndrome. Mine, 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 mine. He was this real tall, 6'4", 6'5", big athletic guy. Uh, he had actually played Division I basketball. And he was just one of those guys that everything he touched turned to gold. And he expected that because of this, these resources that he claimed were mine, his own, that I'd earned all these things. He said, you know, I, I expect I'm going to get out of college, I'm going to make a lot of money. You know, that's the get out of college dream. I'm going to get that first job, make a lot of money. Well, whatever he was making wasn't enough for him. And so again, that mine, 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 more, more, more mentality is involved in his life. And so he sought by whatever means necessary to make more. And some of those means were illegal. And in doing that, he actually was, became indebted to some very bad people and was actually kind of on a list of people that needed to be taken care of. And I mean taken care of like in the godfather sense, like not good. And it was so bad that he got desperate enough that he had a neighbor down the street, kind of knew their routine. And one day when he thought they had left, he broke into their house, knew where you know, some financial, you know, things that could help him in his situation were, and uh, he got caught. 
and spent three, four years in jail. And while he was in prison, it was amazing to hear the story of this guy that was so self-focused, no sense of generosity at all. How God completely changed his perspective of these resources are mine to these things which he had lost because of the way he was living. These are God's blessing on my life, resources to be used to further God's kingdom. And so he gets out, and it was really cool. God did a restoring work. He restored his marriage uh, that was broken up by that whole incident. Uh, he he uh, restored his family. Uh, he got him a, you know, there's a job that came available. And for a guy who was in finance, when you're labeled, you know, officially as a thief, that's kind of a tough thing to find. So he, he was restored in that way too. And so here he is, given back in this basketball league. But it wasn't just the refereeing that stood out to me. We would get done after these long four or five hour nights of men's basketball. And I'll tell you, I was ready to go home. Like, I literally was sitting on the back of these hoops ready to pull the pins and push these hoops into our storage area as quick as possible to get out of there. But you know who kept holding me up? It was Ben. Because Ben, every week, would go over to the edge of the bleacher or go sit down in the coach's office, and he would sit there. And after a couple minutes... You know, one or two guys would walk in, they'd be talking with him. And I thought, you know, they're just socializing, like, you know, I, I need to kind of put a stop to this. i got to get home in a reasonable hour. And so I kind of went up to him, like, man, you're a popular guy. My goal in this conversation was to say, hey, you've got to become a little less popular and get out of here. I want to go home. But he shared with me his heart. And he says, you know, when I was doing time in prison, I realized that my time is a resource that God is calling me to give. And he goes, so I don't just stay after to talk about a basketball game or talk about the football game coming up or work or, you know, whatever, you know, kind of things to do. He says, I just want to make myself available for guys. Because as I've ref this league, I've seen a lot of guys who have as much or more hurt that I had in my life. And I just want to be here to be available for conversation, to talk to them, give them advice, to listen, to cry with them, to rejoice with them when they see breakthroughs. And what a real practical example of irrational generosity. Here's a guy, he's worked a full day, ref five hours of basketball, every reason to want to just go home and focus on him is spending an hour, an hour and a half each night after our basketball league just obediently saying, I'm available, here's my time, God, use it how you would use it. And I'll tell you, first of all, I felt really bad for having that conversation to tell him basically get out early. And we, we you know, ended up staying, uh, and, and I just planned for staying a little bit longer each time. But as I became more aware of this and I passed some of those conversations as I was cleaning up, I, I'm going to tell you, guys' lives were saved with that generosity. Many of them spiritually, obviously, but a lot of them physically as well. And the reason I, I wanted to share that story is, in a second, I want us to think about the resources that we have to give. And maybe it is our time, maybe it's our finances, maybe it's our emotional energy, whatever. But I want you to realize how God can use even the smallest amount. Remember, it's not about an amount, it's a mindset. How God can use that to make a huge difference for His kingdom in the world directly around us. And so here's my two challenges as we're kind of ending. We're going to pray in a second. The first thing is as we're doing so, I want you to think, what do I have to offer? What, what resources have I been blessed with 
And again, don't just think about money. Maybe that's one of them. But, you know, where do I have extra time? You know, where, where do I maybe have a skill set? You know, I'm really handy. I can, I can fix a sink, fix, fix a fridge, fix a door. I don't know, you know, something like that. That could be a blessing to somebody. But where has God just blessed me with the resources to be able to engage in this type of irrational generosity? And then here's part two of that. This one's a tough one. I always get nervous. You know, when I feel like God, like, calls me to preach on something, I know he's going to ask me to do it, like, to lead by example, you know what I mean? And so I, I was a little bit nervous saying this too, but here's the second one is then pray, God, give me an opportunity to use that resource with somebody in the coming days, in the coming weeks, in the coming months. Let this resource that you have blessed me with be something that I can reach out in generosity to someone, you know, whether it's in my family, whether it's at my school, whether it's at my workplace, whatever that might be, but bless somebody through me. And here's the cool thing, you open our, we, if we open ourselves to, to that kind of sensitivity to the needs around us, listen, generosity doesn't become just a project. It becomes a way of life, a lifestyle that we get to live out. So how we're going to end today is, again, I want you to think about that. I want you to pray intentionally for that. But let's, let's go ahead and we'll pray to, to end our time, or at least our message time here. Lord. First off, we do thank you for the, the holiday that we just uh, celebrated this, this past week, God. Thanksgiving, the opportunity to look at the ways that you have blessed us. Um, Lord, even in the simplest ways, it's just amazing how you provide for us in so many situations. And so, Lord, we do, we, we're just excited for the ways that you've blessed us, our families, those around us. But, God, now today we think about how we can use those resources, those resources sometimes that we convince ourselves are ours but are actually, Lord, yours that you desire to use in this world around us. God, that we would just be sensitive to the needs of our neighbors, to the needs of our family, to um, the needs in our, our community, in our workplaces, whatever it might be. But that, Lord, we would use these ways that we've been blessed to bless other people, to have a lifestyle of an irrational generosity that the world doesn't understand, that may not make sense to the person next to us, but God, that demonstrates your love for the people in our lives. God, we thank you again. Um, you know, we, we echo the Macedonian church. We are thankful for this opportunity to take part in, in what you're doing in the world. And so we lift this time to you today. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.
life. Leave today knowing the love that your Father has for you. I pray you guys have a great week. We'll see you guys next week.